Chapter 30 of The Life and Ventures of the Original John Jacob Astor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Warner. The Life and Ventures of the Original John Jacob Astor by Elizabeth Louisa Gebhard. Chapter 30 writing Astoria. The long quiet days spent in his country home on the East River gave John Jacob Astor leisure for fresh plans, but with advancing years and health impaired, these schemes lacked the personal initiative of an earlier period. Mr. Astor acted through others in these days. The following letter, written by Washington Irving, to his nephew, Pierre Munro Irving explains much that follows in connection with the writing of Astoria. My dear Pierre, John Jacob Astor is extremely desirous of having a work written on the subject of his settlement of Astoria at the mouth of the Columbia River, something that might take with the reading world, and secure to him the reputation of having originated the enterprise and founded the colony that are likely to have such important results in the history of commerce and colonization. The old gentleman has applied to me repeatedly in the matter, offering to furnish abundance of materials in letters, journals, and verbal narratives, and to pay liberally for time and trouble. I have felt aware that a work might be written on the subject, full of curious and entertaining matter, comprising adventurous expeditions by sea and land, scenes beyond the Rocky Mountains, incidents and scenes illustrative of Indian character, and of that singular and but little known class, the traders and voyageurs of the fur companies. Still, I am so much engrossed with other plans that I have no time for the examination of papers, the digesting of various materials, etc., and have stood aloof from the undertaking though still keeping the matter open. Since I have heard of your inclination to return to New York, however, it has occurred to me that you might be disposed to take the subject in hand, to collate the various documents, collect verbal information, and reduce the whole to such form that I might be able to dress it up advantageously and with little labour for the press. In an interview which I had with Mr. Astor a day or two since, in which he laid before me a variety of documents, I accordingly stated to him my inability at present to give the subject the labour that would be requisite, but the possibility that you might aid me in the way I have mentioned, in which case I should have no objection to putting the finishing hand to the work. The old gentleman caught at the idea, and begged me to write to you immediately. He said he would be willing to pay you whatever might be deemed proper for your services, and that, if any profit resulted from the sale of the work, it would belong, of course, to the authors. I lay this matter before you, to be considered in contrast or in connection with your other plans. If you take it in hand, it will furnish you with employment for at least a year, and I shall take care to secure your being well paid for your current time and labour. The ultimate profits of the work may be a matter of after-arrangement between us. Mr. Astor is a strong-minded man, 
and one from whose conversation much curious information is to be derived he feels the want of occupation and amusement and thinks he may find something of both in the progress of the work you would find him very kindly disposed for he was an early friend of your father for whose memory he entertains great regard and he has always been on terms of intimacy with your uncle peter and myself besides knowing more or less of others of our family halleck the poet resides a great deal with him at present having a handsome salary for conducting his affairs when you have thought over this matter and made up your mind let me hear from you if you determine in favour of it the sooner you come on the better it is perhaps the only contradiction in an eminently masterful and materially successful life that mr astor should have been so eager to give to the world the history of the venture that failed washington irving says of him that in this enterprise mr astor had turned from the desire for personal aggrandizement and was aiming at a great national benefit and that also in his heart was a desire for for fame if into this great scheme he had put the grandest ideals of his life he might reasonably have hoped and expected that out of the ashes of seeming failure phoenix-like would rise a winged success of which he himself had planted the foundation it was the story of this continent-wide ocean-circled golden street foundation that he wished the friend of his youth to tell in the glowing language of a pen that never wrote in sombre hues but in all the rainbow colours of a boundlessly sympathetic imagination pierre irving consented to undertake the task of collecting and arranging the material provided he could be assured of two thousand dollars in payment for his cooperation he declined any remuneration from the sale of the book itself the work allotted to the nephew by his uncle was broad in extent and accurate in detail mr astor supplied as had been promised papers letters and journals written by those who had been employed in the enterprise including accounts of journeys across the rockies by routes before untraveled there were various works in french and english whose study would throw light on the region beyond the rocky mountains particularly on the columbia river descriptions of animals and plants and scenery adventures by sea and tales of traders trappers and hunters of indian warriors their characters personal traits and costumes mr astor himself as well as the northwest traders who occasionally visited him offered a rare fund of anecdotes and descriptions an experience of washington irving's youth had given him some insight into the type of life he was to portray at twenty irving was a student in the law office of josiah ogden hoffman mr hoffman and mr ludlow ogden owned some wild lands on the oswegatchi and proposed to lay out a town on its shores irving was invited to join a party of seven who were making an expedition to ogdensburg montreal and quebec with this purpose in view they took a sloop to albany travelling afterwards by wagons over bad roads through thick woods or by fields where burnt stumps of trees alternated with the fallen giants of the forests they often alighted and walked in preference to jolting in the wagon 
at black river they embarked in a scow and found in this mode of travel fresh diversions as well as discomforts irving gives a humorous account of coming upon two canoes one day in full pursuit of a deer that was swimming in the water and joining in the hunt the deer made for shore wrote irving we pushed ashore immediately and as it passed mr ogden took off my coat and prepared to swim after it as it came near a man rushed through the bushes sprang into the water and made a grasp at the animal he missed his aim and i jumping after fell on his back and sunk him under water at the same time i caught the deer by one ear and mr ogden seized it by a leg the submerged gentleman who had risen above the water got hold of another leg we drew it ashore when the man immediately dispatched it with a knife we claimed a haunch for our share permitting him to keep all the rest the party still had a sixty-mile journey before reaching ogdensburg which they made in wagons they met with heavy rains impossible roads dirty huts and collapsing tents in the midst of downpours sometimes there were almost hurricanes in which trees swayed and fell and exhausted horses caused them to tramp in mud knee-deep once they were twenty-four hours without food on the banks of the st lawrence they were quartered in some rude buildings belonging to a ruined french fort here the party spent happy days rambling in the woods fishing about the rapids paddling in indian canoes on the st lawrence and visiting indians who still lived on the islands in the river everything writes irving was so grand and so silent and so solitary i don't think any scene in life ever made a more delightful impression upon me at last the party reached montreal the great head of the fur trade and were fated in a very grand manner by some of the partners of the northwest fur company at their hospitable board says irving i occasionally met partners and clerks and hardy fur traders from the interior posts men who had passed years remote from civilized society among distant and savage tribes who had wonders to recount of their wide and wild peregrinations their hunting exploits and their perilous adventures and hairbreadth escapes among the indians i was at an age when the imagination lends its colouring to everything and the stories of these sinbads of the wilderness made the life of a trapper and fur trader perfect romance to me mr astor asked that the forthcoming book should bear washington irving's name and that he should prepare the vast amount of material gathered for the press pierre irving and fitzgreen halleck were invited to be mr astor's guests in town during the winter of eighteen thirty four their host looked upon the review of his great enterprise as a pleasant occupation for the months of frost and snow and indeed it covered these months and more which followed at the close of his task pierre irving received three thousand dollars from mr astor to which his uncle added another thousand when mr irving first reviewed the wealth of material collected by his nephew he felt at once that he would be able to make of it a rich piece of mosaic he writes of rough casting some of the chapters in june of the following year and speaks of pierre irving as an excellent pioneer in august of the same year he was getting the narrative into frame and building his snug little dutch nookery on the hudson 
Irving spent much of his time after this as a guest of Mr. Astor, until Astoria was completed. In September he wrote, For upwards of a month past, I have been quartered at Hellgate with Mr. Astor, and I have not had so quiet and delightful a nest since I have been in America. Here the old gentleman keeps a kind of bachelor hall. Halleck, the poet, lives with him, but goes to town every morning, and comes out to dinner. The only other member of the family is Charles Astor Bristed, one of his grandchildren, a very fine boy of fourteen years of age. Pierre Munro Irving has been a guest for several weeks past, but has recently returned to New York. I cannot tell you how sweet and delightful I have found this retreat. Pure air, agreeable scenery, a spacious house, profound quiet, and perfect command of my time and self. The consequence is that I have written more since I have been here than I have ever done in the same space of time. Within the last month, I have written more than a volume, and have got within a half dozen chapters of the end of my work. An achievement which I did not expect to do for months. Of course, there will be much to be done afterwards in extending some parts, touching up others, enriching and embellishing. It will make two good volumes, probably octavo and Pierre Munro thinks it will be more liked than anything I have lately written. The later months of 1835 and early parts of 1836, Irving was still at Mr. Astor's home, busily engaged polishing and perfecting his work. Mr. Astor was building a new house in town, which was not finished, so with Washington Irving and his nephew, Pierre Irving, to keep him company, they were passing the winter months in the country, facing Hellgate in its boisterous, wintry aspect. Again, Irving writes, Mr. Astor does everything in his power to render our residence with him agreeable, and to detain us with him. In consequence of having so much leisure and quiet, I have been able to get on famously with my new work, and hope to finish in the course of a few weeks. In February 1836, Irving was completing the book that meant so much to his old friend, the author, and the reading world. I am giving my last touches to the Astor work. It is this handling which, like the touching and toning of a picture, gives the richest effects. I am interested and pleased with the work, and feel that the labour that I am now bestowing upon it will contribute greatly to its success. The book, when finished, proved to be a great gratification to Mr. Astor, and was received by the reading public with marked enthusiasm, by many on both sides of the sea. It was considered to be Washington Irving's greatest work. Wolfert's Roost, now commonly known as Sunnyside, Irving's many-gabled home on the Hudson, had grown simultaneously with Astoria, and soon after the book was published, we find Mr. Astor surprising Irving by a two-days visit in his Dutch nook near Tarrytown. Washington Irving was a most genial and kindly host. His cordial manner, his warm affection for his friends, and his flights of humour on the slightest occasion made it a rare pleasure to be his guest. In fact, so enjoyable did Mr. Astor find his stay under the roof of his old friend, that he promised to repeat it as soon as it was good sleighing. From Hellsgate to Tarrytown was not an impossible distance in the sleigh in those days, and the homes at either end of the journey afforded a warm welcome to either guest. 
Irving's intercourse with the great capitalist was purely that of friendship, rather than a business relation. Once, during the years of their intimacy, Mr. Astor sold Irving a share in the town founded on Green Bay, Michigan. The land advanced in value, but Irving's share was not sold. After the investment had proved unsuccessful, the seller, of his own free will, took back the share and returned the original purchase money. Irving's refusal to receive any remuneration from Mr. Astor in return for his work on Astoria, whose publication in itself brought the author gratifying returns, was said to have been offset by Mr. Astor's appointment of Washington Irving as one of his executors. Acting in this capacity in regard to the Astor fortune, netted Mr. Astor's old friend a sum exceeding any he had received for his works, except the life of Columbus. Among the relics of Mr. Astor's fur trading days, still preserved, are two medals, such as it was customary for fur companies to bestow on Indian chiefs, both as marks of favor, and also a sign and a seal of the strength and power of these companies. One of the Astor medals contains a portrait of the great fur merchant, circled by the words President of the American Fur Company, of which corporation Mr. Astor was not only president, but the whole company, the title being used to extend and facilitate his operations. The second medal contains two clasped hands with the words above and below, peace and friendship, and these in turn enclosed by two pairs of tomahawks and pipes of peace. Fort Union and UMO is the circled lettering, the initials standing for Upper Missouri Outfit, the whole being the name applied to a trading post on the Yellowstone, which later became a government post. Both medals are pierced with a hole, and have evidently been worn proudly suspended from some savage chieftain's neck. End of chapter 30